2: Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet, bringing the world's top experts right to you. Introducing your hosts, Matt Bodner and Austin Fable. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet with more than 5 million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. In this episode, we share an incredibly powerful annual planning ritual that can transform your entire year. We break down exactly what to do to set yourself up for success in the new year and show you how to avoid the biggest problems that stop you from achieving your goals. Don't let your 2021 goals become figments of your imagination by springtime. Listen to this interview with returning guest Peter Shallard to crush your annual planning and goal setting. Are you a fan of the show? And have you been enjoying the content that we put together for you? If you have, I would love it if you signed up for our email list. We have some amazing content on there along with a really great free course that we put a ton of time into called How to Create Time for What Matters Most in Your Life. If that sounds exciting and interesting and you want a bunch of other free goodies and giveaways along with that, just go to successpodcast.com. You can sign up right on the homepage. That's successpodcast.com, or if you're on your phone right now, all you have to do is text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. In our previous episode, my co-host Austin interviews international private investigator Tyler Maroney and uncovers some fascinating lessons about how the field of intelligence gathering is reshaping our world. Now for our interview with Peter. Please note... This episode contains profanity. Known as the shrink for entrepreneurs, Peter Shallard is a renowned business psychology expert and therapist gone renegade. He works with entrepreneurs from around the globe to help them master the psychology of reaching their goals of success faster, better, and with bigger impact. Peter is also the founder of Commit Action and has been featured in media outlets across the globe. Peter, welcome back to the Science of Success. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. This is going to be fun. Well, we're very excited to have you back on, and I believe with this episode, you are getting the honor of being the most interviewed guest on the show.
3: Is that right? Three times.
2: That's right. Three
3: times the charm. It's an honor that I uh, I bear with a great weight, sense of
2: responsibility, and uh, I think we're going to really make this episode count. Well, I'm excited, and, and this episode couldn't come uh, at a better time of year, but before we jump into really the meat of this conversation, I want to back up and and, and longtime listeners might be a little bit familiar with this, but tell me again about your background and commit action, how you started it and why it's so evidence-based. Because to me, without that context, what we're about to have a conversation about doesn't make as much sense
3: yeah got it thanks for asking so yeah my background's in psychology I'll, I'll do the very accelerated version of this i i started out as a therapist my first business was a brick and mortar therapy practice to be honest i i was a bit all over the place i've i've trained in and learned about all sorts of different modalities but over time two things happened in the evolution of my career i i started to work more and more with entrepreneurs until that became my specialty and i doubled down on it with the the brand the shrink for entrepreneurs and at the same time i got more and more interested in the evidence-based kind of movement within the field the broad field of psychology and this was a while ago like I've been I've been doing this now for about 12 years and back then the empirically validated part of the field was a very narrow pie slice of all of psychology right like Freudian Jungian like the, the the kind of grandfathers of the field were were really armchair philosophers. And there's something to that. They had a lot of great ideas, but uh, psychology didn't really put on its lab coat until very recently. So I was kind of an early adopter and was really interested in what we could validate in the lab with psychology and just lean more and more into that. And Commit Action, the startup that I founded, that really came about as a result of working with a ton of entrepreneurs. You know, I built a, a client roster with collectively like a few billion in market cap across the 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 entrepreneurs that I worked with and saw some people who you know just built tremendous businesses that really kind of made a dent in the universe as they say i was aware that there was a a sort of an underserved group of entrepreneurs that i wasn't really reaching which were the the business owners the the small medium owner operators the people out there building businesses to liberate themselves create amazing lifestyles provide for their families not necessarily scaling to billions of dollars but like you know loads of success stories that are very real and and those entrepreneurs struggled with a different set of problems that I was kind of equipped to be handling and productivity their focus their those people's ability to get things done was a big kind of It's a stone that I unturned when I looked underneath, I found like there's all these business owners who are quietly struggling with this issue of really struggling to be the best version of themselves on a daily basis, show up and execute with the focus and productivity and motivational drive that comes easily when you're a part of an organization and you've got a boss and you've there's a lot of accountability in place. And there's an isolation to self-employment. There's a sort of a pandemic of that isolation. I've been saying that for many years before it was cool, so to speak. And it's a real major problem. And it makes the journey of entrepreneurship much more difficult than it has to be. So Commit Action came about when I identified this problem and basically started looking around to see what does evidence-based psychology have to say about this? What are the interventions that are proven to really move the needle? What is it that we can do to help small business owners be more productive, be more focused, and get more done and achieve their goals faster? Because that was overwhelmingly what people were struggling with. And, and that was the really the origin story that sniffing around trying to figure that out was what started the company i went down this path of developing a very in some ways a very simple but very powerful accountability coaching methodology based on you know the latest and greatest science around planning and structure and basically the the incredible impact that socially like objective socially supportive relationships have for humans who are striving towards goal accomplishment so we invented the service there's nothing like it it had never been done before where we pair business owners up with dedicated professional personal trainers for their own productivity basically someone on their team whose job it is to make them as focused and productive as possible and everything we do is deeply rooted in science um, all the conversations we have so we built a we built an evidence-based methodology we worked with the professor of positive psychology at NYU and and a neuroscience researcher from Harvard Medical School one of the professors there to, to build out our methodology and train our coaches and launch that was many years ago and we've since worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and this is kind of what I do now.
2: Such a great background. And, and it, I mean, the evidence-based piece, that's a cornerstone of what we focus on, on the science of success. And, and I'm such a huge believer in leveraging science, leveraging evidence, leveraging data and figuring out not just, oh, that's an interesting study, but really trying to figure out how do you actually apply that to your life in a very practical sense and start to implement it and use it so that you can be more focused and more productive.
3: Yeah, me too. And 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 what I love about this is that this is starting to happen like we were the early adopters in this field, but it's starting starting to filter into there's some coaching modalities that that therapists who have been in the cognitive behavioral therapy and the um, acceptance and commitment therapy field, which are two of the more kind of sciencey parts or or no, that's I'm being facetious. They're very strongly rooted in evidence-based science, therapeutic modalities. They're starting to kind of play with this stuff too. They're seeing that the traditional approach to psychology and to personal growth has had a lot to do with exploration and the generation of like epiphany, right? So like for a lot, for the longest time, I think this really got going with the human potential movement, right? Like the, the guys out of Esalen in the 70s who were ingesting substances in hot tubs and sort of figuring out that if you could have these... These epiphanies about your relationship with your mother, or your, you know, like how you were the victim of like ancestral trauma that had been passed down to you in a multi generational sequence. This could create all of these unlocks and revelations in your life. What we actually now know is that a lot of that stuff is fantastic for creating catharsis and a, and a big emotional experience when you're going through the workshop or you're having the intervention with the therapist. But when you check in six months later and see what are the outcomes in people's lives, it just doesn't stand up compared to what's going on in the evidence-based movement where there's these unsexy, frankly, sometimes boring interventions. Like one of the things that come in action we struggle with is we have to, with our marketing, we have to dress up what we do and imbue a sense of magic and awe and gravitas in like the very simple idea of like, hey, you know what? You can change your life if you're willing to commit to incremental, consistent action, if you carve out time to work on the things that matter to you and you schedule that time and you use accountability to add a level of commitment to that that promise that you're making yourself, you won't experience overnight success. You won't feel the feelings you'll feel if you go to a Tony Robbins workshop. But when you turn around and look back six months later, you'll blow yourself away with how much you can change your life, how much you can grow a business, how much you can learn new skills, close capability gaps, whatever it is that you might want to work on. That's what's going on in the field right now. It's like there's this there's this undercurrent of like, it's amazing what people can do if we can just do that, that patient incremental work. So the thing about psychology is that anything that... So far everything that gets validated in the lab so to speak is always the unsexy stuff. It's never the fun past life regression like a Oedipus complex, none of that stuff. It's too complicated to test and measure even like and maybe there's nothing to it, right? But these ide- these really basic ideas, right, like the, some of the economics research that's been done about, you know, where behavioral science meets financial outcomes shows that, like, financial outcomes, sorry, shows that humans' rate of saving, our willingness to participate in delayed gratification skyrockets when we're doing it in a group and we engage in status games, right, like we try to outdo one another by trying to save more than our peers, and so there's been some amazing studies done in the third world where savings are a problem, retirement savings don't really exist, where these communities uh, become overnight these incredible, like, savings cultures and start building up these nest eggs that economically set them free because people are going in there these economists are going in there and using technology to create a little text message based leaderboard where you know the guy down the street from you saved 30 percent more than you last week and you're like i'm not gonna let him lord that over me and you grind a little bit harder and save a little bit more like they're finding out that this kind of stuff majorly changes human behavior outcomes and lives and it's like
2: yeah yeah It's just accountability, competition, simple stuff like that. And you brought up something a minute ago, which is such an important lesson. And it's this idea that there's a big difference between the feeling of getting results and actually getting results and really simple, mundane interventions in your life, things like implementation, uh, intentions, accountability, et cetera, can create massive change but it's so easy to trick yourself into thinking that this big, explosive, emotionally engaging experience, like a Tony Robbins event, something like that, is going to transform your life. When really, it's the everyday simple habits and routines that ultimately create the biggest impact.
3: Right, and that's what we, you know, that's what we did at Commit Action. And I don't, I'm not trying to make a commercial out of this by any means. Like, but it is, you know, this is what I, my sort of life's work, what I've spent the last five years doing. We did build out like, we basically built out a weekly ritual as a service. That's what we do for our customers, where we spend, we have a short check-in with them with a dedicated coach every week to do these really unsexy things that make this incredible difference. And it's funny because I get this, like, when you're when you're building a business like this and marketing it, like, we're going up against, we're buying advertising against the Tony Robbins of the world, against the people with the $5,000 weekend walk-on-fire, like, catharsis retreats where you're going to cry and you're going to laugh and you're going to dance and you're going to hug people and what we're pitching is check in with an expert like a dedicated pro every week make plans make use implementation intentions carve out time on your schedule to work on the things you know in your bones are important to you the things you keep on passing over because you're too busy with putting out fires and dealing with urgencies in your life and marvel at what you can get done a few months from now and it's it's tough because I think there's a part of us that there's a part of all humans that wishes it were easy where we're, we're looking for the miracle for the lottery ticket, you know, the magic
2: bullet. But what works is the, uh, is the unsexy stuff. And you touched on the concept of rituals. And to me, having the right rituals, routines, habits in your life is, is a huge difference maker. And one of the biggest rituals that I've, spend a tremendous amount of time and energy on every single year and funnily enough was doing this morning is was was starting this process this morning is annual planning tell me a little bit about why that's so important and and how we can really think about effectively developing the right rituals around planning our years
3: yeah yeah good good call you know it's funny like the way that i came to annual planning was through imitation so i've got these you know for the longest time i had these kind of twin careers one was my private practice is the shrink for entrepreneurs working with these incredible technologists and startup founders. The other has been commit action. Commit action is a weekly ritual, right? We're talking about rituals. It's that that unsexy, goal setting, planning, productivity stuff. For a while, I would get calls and have sort of reservations on my calendar made on the shrink for entrepreneurs side of my business by these incredible, high-functioning entrepreneurs these founders around january early january end of december they'd say like hey it's this time of year where i'm taking a retreat i'm going off for two days to like a little cabin in the mountains something or like the beach or whatever it was and it was ubiquitous like all of the most successful people had their thing that they would go and do and then they'd call me up and be like i want to make an appointment the day i get back because i want to go over everything with you you're my shrink like this is what i want to do and so i started wondering there must be something to this. Like, why am I not? Because I kind of, I'm I'm one of those people who's like, New Year's Eve is just another day, right? Yeah, yeah, we made a lap around the sun. But what I started to realize is that these highly successful people all had this this ritual, this habit of taking time out once a year to really retreat from business as usual and life itself to do some, I wanna say deep thinking, but I also wanna say like thinking at 30,000 feet about the big picture, about what they're accomplishing, what they're working on, and there's there's something about 365 days is like a as like a sort of a chunk size that seems to be really really important. I dedicated a business to helping people with the micro micro the the seven day sprint planning, but a few years into it, realized. I should actually be studying what these entrepreneurs are doing because they're onto something here. And so that began the process for me. And this is something you and I, I don't know if you remember, but we connected about this years ago before this podcast was like even a twinkle in your eye. Talking about end-of-year planning rituals, I started basically studying all of my clients the most successful people i worked with and kind of putting their rituals together and trying them out for myself and for, it was just a project for me to try to figure out like so what do you do when you go to your r- retreat what were you thinking about this morning when you were working on thinking about the year and i i sort of picked and chose and put together a bunch of different annual planning rituals it's a game changer and i think the reason it's so important to think to do this to take this time is that there's a lot of unusual cognitive biases that are at play in terms of our ability to think about the future and plan most people it's a cliche but it's a cliche because it's true people massively overestimate what they can get done in a week and usually a month as well but there's something about when you zoom out to like a year people tend to underestimate what they can accomplish and so annual planning when done correctly has a real funny way of coming true people who ground themselves in a great ritual and process can often really set themselves up for a big win by kind of pointing at a North Star 12 months from now and then just getting stuck in and getting into the weeds of execution and then blowing themselves away with what's possible. So I kind of became a accidental, through imitation, annual planning fan and then became a bit of a specialist at it as we started to build out at Commit Action, like a whole a whole kind of thing around annual planning. And that's what, that's what I wanted to talk to you about today.
2: So when you went and studied a lot of these high achievers and, and really successful people, when you looked at some of the research and, and, and the psychology around this too, what did you uncover? What were some of the commonalities that you found around really successfully structured annual planning and, and, and year-end routines?
3: You know, one of the ones that surprised me was that a lot of the smartest people I knew spent a lot of time, and there is some there is a bunch of science to back this up as well, spent a lot of time actually thinking about the past. So I don't know about you, but I I actually have this memory of the first time I kind of connected with the idea of goal setting, which was when I was in school. I think it was like I think I was about twelve years old, and I had some kind of gung-ho like teacher who was like these kids should set goals, and we were encouraged in January or whatever it was. Um, I'm from New Zealand, so our school year runs like a little bit differently. At the start of the year, we were encouraged to sit down and write out some goals, and it was just like that was it, right? Like sit down, what do you want to have happen in the next year? So, mo- for for a lot of people, goal setting is immediately like just look forward down that timeline into the future. Where do you want to go? I think that there's an elevated there's an elevated opportunity here to take time out to actually do like a review to do a bit of a postmortem on the year that's been and I think that it's really counterintuitive to start your goal setting process by thinking about the past but there's a problem that a lot of people have with goal setting that kind of ruins the process and invites a lot of self-sabotage which is that they struggle to ground their objectives in reality they struggle to anchor them in in a in reasonable expectations that build on where they've come from so a lot of people feel like a year's a long time they're hopped up on personal development and a, and a naive sense of potential and they tell themselves I want to I want to achieve 100x, whatever it is. I want to go to Mars. I want to be the first man on Mars. They set Elon Musk-type goals, but they're not Elon Musk. The thing about the first value, I think, of really powerful reflection on the past is that you can actually ground your thoughts about what you want to have accomplished in the new year in the principle that the best predictor of the future is going to be the performance of the past, right? Not to say you can't shoot higher and you can't improve things, but I think doing a uh, doing a bit of a diagnostic on how things went can really help. Is that something that's part of your ritual?
2: Yeah, in a big way. And, and funnily enough, this morning I was doing a, almost a cursory review. I went all the way back. I was looking at 2019 and I read my, my recap of 2019 to see what, what was that year like. And I was starting to put together almost like just loose bullet points of what were some of the big things that happened to me in, in 2020. And I'll continue to add to that list over the next couple days or weeks and then eventually come back to it and really refine it into, I almost create this milestone for each year of, of accomplishments, things that happened, all this kind of stuff, and then reflections on the year. And And to me, bringing in the past is is a, a really important component of setting the right context before you think about where you're going next
3: when you find yourself thinking about the year that's been do you tend to gravitate more to the wins or to the, the the not so wins the the bad stuff
2: i try to have somewhat of a healthy balance i i more so will create almost bullet points of the wins so achievements in business and places i've visited not many this year but typically i'll say oh i traveled here and traveled here and i and it's fun to look back at the year and say wow i can't believe i did all these things and and visited all these places but i always more so in my journal entries themselves really try to reflect back on the hard parts and the setbacks and and the things i struggled with
3: gotcha yeah i think i mean i think it's so critical to have a healthy balance and that's one of the things that i kind of picked up from my research in the space whether it was, you know, the anecdotal things that these high functioning people did or or some of the science on on what really works here, one of the things that I learned is that like high functioning sort of type A ambitious people, which I'm guessing are the listeners of, of this podcast for the most part, particularly the entrepreneurs out there, the business owners, they they have a tendency towards self flagellation right like a lot of us default to a lot of very ambitious people default to being very hard on themselves at the best of times it's just kind of a natural thing right like if you're somebody listening to this that resonates with the idea that no one has bigger expectations for you than you right like then the it's really important to make sure that you're grounding some of your reflection in the year that's been particularly after a year like 2020 which is a weird one to put it mildly in some positive reflection right like i think it's so important to start with like what went really well what are you what are you proud of and and to focus that the direction of that kind of evaluation not just on external circumstance because if things went well and you got lucky some nice things happened to you that's kind of cool but i think asking the question of where did I show up as the best version of myself in the last year? Like, how did I rise to the occasion in a really magnificent way? And bullet pointing out those kind of like reflecting on what those things are. It's so critical to do that because for a number of reasons, one, because you want to you want to tap that inner resourcefulness, the the belief, the, the belief that you are somebody who can, you know, rise to occasions and do magnificent things when you go into planning the next year but also you want to get some of the emotional resilience and strength to do a real to do some real critical thinking about the the year that's been as well and then like that's kind of part two is to really get get negative get deliberately negative and ask yourself where could i have done better but it's it's so important to start there because i think so many of us naturally go to the that go to the negative if we're not careful, right? Like I certainly find myself slipping into that. If you ask me, how's my twenty twenty? Like just catch me on a random day and throw that question at me. I'm going to be like, oh wow, yeah. Like well, I had a couple big missed opportunities, and good to hear that you're doing a little bit of both.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, it's it's so important to have a balance. I, I want to come back to something you said a minute ago because I'm curious how you approach this and how you've seen other people that you've worked with and, and studied approach this, you you touched on this idea that the best predictor of, of the future is past performance. What should you do in terms of your goal setting? If you're not happy with your past performance,
3: I think one of the most important things is to find something to measure and then make a uh, set goals around set goals around creating like incremental improvements in that particular metric. Like I, I, If you're if you're somebody who's in a position where you're looking back on the year and there's not a lot of positive and you're just really unhappy with how you performed, there's got to be measurement is a major issue, right? Like, I think that the psychology of negative self-talk becomes toxic when we're giving ourselves a hard time. We've got a feeling and intuition that we're not doing good enough, but we're unable to point at it, to point at a number and say, this thing needs to be 30 percent better right like so if it's something in your career if you're frustrated with yourself because of the way that you showed up in the politics of your work that can be really tricky to move the needle on but if you're you know if you're a salesperson if you do something that lends itself to measurement and you want to improve your numbers then you can set goals that are really focused on like doing that on and and you can start the year like you can you can kind of make your 2021 goal to double it or whatever your ambitious goal is but one of the things you can do is actually start off the year by experimenting with what is the incremental rate of improvement that you're capable of of accomplishing so i guess The physics of this in some ways is you've got to figure out what what you're measuring, like what the unit is of improvement, and then you've got to figure out the rate of acceleration that you're capable of sustaining. Then you know how to set a realistic goal that you actually have a shot at achieving that's going to be worth striving for. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense and ties into another question that I had, which is the idea of what do you do or how should you approach? setting goals that are too ambitious because i know that's something that i've i've fallen into is setting goals in the past and then even multi-year goals and then falling short of them materially because they were they were wildly ambitious how do you think about not overstepping that or not self-sabotaging not kind of putting yourself in a position where your goals don't align with reality
3: this is a fantastic question and so many people do this the the funny thing about really massive audacious goals is we do have such a negative we there is such negativity associated with not achieving them even though they're like Obviously so audacious and massive there's a concept in psychotherapy called splitting, which is basically a uh, black black or white thinking. It's the tendency that people have it's sort of a some sort of a cognitive bias where when we set kind of objectives we tend to we tend to naturally think about them in a very binary way right like we we have these these fluid and analog things that can happen in life because you know life is messy and there's there's loads of shades of gray but we tend to beat ourselves up in a very black and white way if we do or don't achieve them what i mean let me give you an example for a lot of business owners they have like classic objectives like build a billion dollar business build build a get to a get to a million dollars in revenue this year now the thing about that as an objective is it might be big from where you're sitting right sitting right now setting that goal but getting to $900,000 and 970000 in revenue is really, really valuable and pretty pretty proportionately as important as getting that last $30,000 that gets you over the line to your objective. And it seems obvious when I'm painting it, like painting the picture like this, that of course, if you had the goal for 000, 000 a million dollar year and you got to $970,000, you would be feeling pretty great about yourself. But it's worthwhile thinking what are the other areas that we tend to engage in splitting, engage in like black and white self-judgment when we set a really big long-term audacious goal and then we achieve some non-zero percent of it. And so this is the advice is if you wanna set big, even multi-year, as you, you you mentioned, like hugely audacious goals that are like the kind of thing that are gonna just completely transform your life. It's really important to ask yourself, how am I going to feel if this goes okay? This is actually one of the, I do a lot of work with, or back in the day did a lot of work with helping co-founders of startups like get really great operating agreements and and sort of partnership dynamics between the two of them. It's something I encourage all business partners to ask of each other because most people go into business partnerships going like, we're going to try to build a billion dollar company together what's going to be the deal what's going to be the equity split if it goes like gangbusters and they also have they're like i'm realistic i also know that this might all be for nothing we might have to shut it down and they they kind of have some thoughts about how they'll untangle their affairs if it all goes to nothing but what generally happens is that things go like okay-ish as an entrepreneur yourself you know what i'm talking about right most of the big, hairy, audacious goals, they go like, okay, not quite as good. Nothing's usually as good as you thought it could be, but it's also never as bad as you think it can be, right?
2: Yep, absolutely.
3: So the key with those big, long-term, hairy goals is you've got to engage in anticipation of the middling outcomes. And the key psychologically is if you're aligned and excited about achieving half of the million-dollar objective, and 55% and 45% and 65% but also 30 right like if all of the if all of the steps along the way to the big binary symbolic objective are exciting for you then there's a level of alignment there that's going to really unlock your you know unconscious motivation it's going to it's going to get you in a good spot if you're setting huge big multi-year objectives where it's like And at the end of this year, I'm either there or I ain't, then you're playing a high stakes game and setting yourself up for a lot of heartache. So you got to avoid the black or white thinking and learn to live in the gray, because to be honest, that's where most of life happens when it comes to goal accomplishment.
2: Yeah, that's such a good insight. And even thinking back on there, there's one particular goal that I said I wanted to 10x something in my life. And. I think I ultimately ended up like 3x or 4 xing it, which is a fantastic outcome from where it was. But at the same time, I was like, well, I I completely missed the mark on that goal. You know, 30% achievement of what I set for myself. And then I started thinking to myself, well, was the goal wrong or did I not execute properly? I mean, again, kind of beating myself up when really it was still quite a good outcome.
3: Yeah, totally. I mean, that's the thing. There's so many like There's so many big, hairy, audacious goals people set and achieve 20% of them and are like, oh, this is, you know, this is no good. But they've materially changed and improved their life and they're totally heading in the right direction. They've learned all sorts of things. One of the fundamental biases that we, like the kind of mental blind spots that we engage in with goal accomplishment is that by definition, when we engage in new projects, we start out in a state of uninformed optimism. Right. And that's this is something that we're always at commit action. We're always combating on behalf of our clients. When we have a new project and when there's novelty, the side effect of anything new is that we have a lot of unknown unknowns. We're we're unexperienced. And so we can we tend to, if we're optimists, project into our newest projects all of our hopes and ambitions our sense that this will be the the kind of unicorn i've been looking for the golden opportunity the you know the big project with all the potential you see this in entrepreneurs a lot with new business ideas or with the 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 seasoned entrenched operators with the new product idea the new pivot the new thing that's going to change everything uninformed optimism is the rush of serotonin and dopamine we get at the start when we know nothing about actually executing on this plan, this idea, this hope that we've had, but we have maximum imagination. And over time, as we execute, we move, we transition from a state of uninformed optimism to informed pessimism. So as we execute and move through time, the out, the increase in our knowledge and our wisdom about the space that we're executing in, the new project, the new venture, the new, could be a new hobby that you're developing, right? It all, it starts to ramp up. And with that information, with that learning, comes the curse of becoming the cynical, jaded expert. You see this dichotomy all the time in startups, right? Startups are full of young, frankly, arrogant, technologists, kids who understand tech going into industries where there's 65-year-old Yoda-like characters who are like, it can't be done. I've been here for 35 years and I'm telling you that the legislative environment and the way that the consumer demand is, there's just no room. You're never going to change whatever the industry is. And they're right until they're wrong the startup founder the dewy-eyed 20-something year old knows nothing that this old yoda-like guy knows doesn't have the experience and because of that has this uninformed optimism that enables them to see the billion dollar opportunity sometimes they're right sometimes they're wrong in the process of that startup founder actually executing on the billion dollar opportunity he or she will move from uninformed optimism through informed pessimism down the emotional kind of roller coaster into a state of like practical despair this is what seth godin talks about in his book the dip right that's fundamentally what that whole concept is about that valley of despair that we get to when we engage in any creative or commercial like any effort where we're stretching ourselves to make something happen will eventually land in this place where we realize oh shit if this was easy everyone would be doing it it's only if we can get out the other side of that and keep on executing that we can actually make something happen. So I went on a massive rant here. I kind of forgot what, what what you originally said, but yeah, big goals, uninformed optimism. It's a challenge. It's hardwired in that that's a challenge we have to face.
2: Yeah, no, that was that was a fantastic digression and really helped put in context a lot of things that that I've been thinking about. And it's the older I get, the more time I spend building, scaling businesses, et cetera, the more I come back to the informed optimism stage of, wow, it's it's a lot harder to do pretty much anything than you think, even when you account for the fact that you know that you're underestimating how hard it's going to be.
3: Yeah. I always think about, it's actually my dad said this to me when I was a kid over and over in all sorts of contexts. He just used to say, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. And I think, especially for the entrepreneurs out there, that's so true in a commercial, like capitalistic sense. Like, you know, the market is efficient. Entrepreneurs are looking for arbitrage opportunities. If you think that you've had some idea that you're going to make a million bucks and it's going to be like just easy, I'm telling you, somebody else already thought of it and it's saturated and there's tons of other people doing it. And the fact that it's competitive makes it difficult. That's kind of the deal. And so... I think that when people get to that place of informed pessimism with their goals, that's when they realize, wow, if this was easy, everyone would be doing it. That's fundamentally a truth. I will say that accomplishment, doing things that are worth doing, particularly in business, comes about as a result of doing things that everybody else finds really difficult because on the other side, now we're talking about something different, but on the other side of doing things that are really difficult, there's a big empty blue ocean because not that many people are willing to do it and that's where a lot of value creation happens
2: yeah that's a whole nother conversation but some really really rich material that we should mine at some point
3: you got to have me back to be on the to be the, the first ever guest to be here for four episodes at
0: some point so we'll get into that later that's right okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming
2: about, all from the comfort of your home, isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Tell me about, we talked a lot about the, the psychology of making sure you set the right goals, not too ambitious, not too, uh, not too pessimistic. Tell me more, what, what are some of the other important lessons or, or methodologies that you found around building a really effective year-end plan?
3: Yeah, so one of the like one of the biggest things that we now do at Commit Action when we look at when we when we do year-end planning with our clients is we talk a lot about ecology, the psychology of ecology. And what that means is basically thinking through the secondary consequences of goal accomplishment and also looking at I guess at like holistic values and, and sort of your inner self-awareness about what you truly want and what truly drives you. Because one of the biggest things that, I would say the biggest obstacle bar none to big goal accomplishment over the long term is self-sabotage, which comes about as a result of not knowing oneself and one's true desires and capabilities, right? Like a lot of people set goals that they think they should have, They set other people's goals, right? Like they hear about other people doing things and think I'd like to do that too. They don't have a deep ecology in terms of an internal congruence of really understanding what the goal is, what it will require of them, and wanting not just the goal, but all of the steps to get there. The classic example I give all the time is like, so many entrepreneurs, if you're like, what do you wanna accomplish in a year? They're like, I'd love to double my business. But then you look at their business and it's like a services business where they do a bunch of work with clients. And if they doubled their business, their life would be over. They don't really want it, or at least not quite, there's a richer definition of what they really want, which is like, they need to scale up and have more capacity to deliver the service, then they wanna double the business. But that's what ecology is all about. It's thinking through, okay, so you want to double your company's revenue. What's going to happen when you do that? What's going to happen to the rest of your time? How will that impact your family, right? What are the unintended consequences and side effects of having the thing happen and unfold that you're saying that you want? Ecology, Ecology is about really thinking through all of that stuff and also looking at the steps required because I think that like I think lazy and in some ways uninformed, unevolved goal setting is all objective focused, but no process focused, right? Like no process focus. Like I want to double my business. Do you want to double your sales activity? Do you want to double your marketing knowledge in the next 12 years? Because now we're getting to, if you want to double your business, we've got to get to the process goals, the proxies that you need to focus on, the proximal steps to actually get to the end objective that you really want. And so when we at Commit Action, when we talk about ecology, what we're basically doing is grabbing our clients by the shoulders and shaking them and being like, do you know what it is to really want something? <laughs> and I think that that's, that's the thing, the the honesty and, and the introspection required to do really effective annual planning is a challenge for a lot of people. It's really hard to be real with oneself and know what questions to ask to actually get to a set of goals that you're not going to you're not going to get to the end of the year and feel like the goalposts have moved. And I would say that that's the like if I want to make everybody listening to this uncomfortable, how many of you have set a goal where you're like this is the big objective? And then six months later or whatever, you're like, oh, well, like things kind of changed and like, yeah, I still kind of want that, but actually this other thing came along and now I'm going to do that instead. And like, you kind of let yourself off the hook, right?
2: Unquestionably.
3: That's because ecology is missing. The psychological sort of, optimization of that goal wasn't in place and so you were distracted by the bright shiny object because there was some part of you some nook and cranny in your unconscious that didn't really want that to happen or didn't want to do the work to make it happen that wasn't aligned with the outcome that the that the kind of front part of your brain said yeah that sounds like good i want to do that yeah i'm curious to hear for you like you must have thought about some of this stuff too have you ever set goals that you kind of ended up realizing were not actually what you wanted
2: Oh, yeah. There's no question. And, and funnily enough, one of the people that really brought that concept to light for me is our, our mutual friend, Mark Manson, who he has some great illustrations in his first book where he talks about this idea of wanting something versus wanting to want something. And I always think of the analogy he had of wanting to be a, a rock star. But if you don't like practicing every day and you don't like lugging your equipment to the sound stage and all of these component parts, if you don't like any of that stuff, You're never going to actually do the work to become a rock star. And for some reason, that analogy really stuck with me and is just a great illustration of how you can be really misaligned from what you're telling yourself you want versus what you actually want.
3: Yeah, that's such a that's damn it, Mark, he's always so good with the good metaphors. He can say in like a handful of words, but I just spent like 20 minutes trying to unpack for you. I think uh, I think that's exactly right. I think that, you know, one of the things, like we're obviously doing all of our work with at Commit Action with business owners, right? And one of the things I often remind people of is, you know, and our coaches are sort of trained to know this as well, is that nothing of, of substance or lasting value has been created without somebody experiencing struggle and suffering and discomfort. There is no there is no get rich quick right nothing of substance or lasting value and I will say, and you'll you'll hear about this you'll be tempted to to not believe me because you'll hear about entrepreneurs who achieve overnight success push button profits they're out there on the internet trying to sell you courses which would tell you something about. You know their actual businesses. The thing I will say is that you can find arbitrage opportunities to make a quick buck if you're on the cutting edge of looking at ways to exploit whatever new technology there is to do something that makes a quick buck. But it's a vanishingly closing window, right? It's not lasting. There's no business that gets built that really like fuels a life that puts kids through college that like really truly sets the owner free from from a financial success point of view without some major struggle without that person i think mark's metaphor is like eating a shit sandwich right you got to eat the shit sandwich you've got to struggle in some way because that's where the value gets created because if it were easy everyone would be doing it and so that's the big piece of ecology when it comes to goal setting is actually being able to really unpack your objective and ask yourself you know, am I willing to do the lugging of the guitar around to the gigs in the freezing cold? Am I willing to practice until my fingers bleed? You know, do I want this or do I want to want it? You know, Peter Thiel recently popularized the French philosopher René Girard, who does, has all this work about memetics, right? He has this theory of, it's an armchair psychology, but it's great. It's good stuff. I can't I can't help but break. Am I allowed to talk about this on the Evidence-Based Science of Success podcast? We'll allow it. Well, you'll allow it. He has this incredible theory that so much of human behavior, he's one of these guys with like a universal theory of everything, why everyone does everything they do. And all, I've read every book like that and and they're all partly right and partly wrong. His is that we do everything through imitation, that we want what other people have, that human beings, because we're kind of social primates, we're just hardwired to pay attention and kind of glom onto other people's definitions of success. And it's never been easier to kind of fall into that trap, right? Because we're inundated with social media, other people's highlight reels. If you're an entrepreneur, you're inundated with the push-button profits guys telling you how it's going to be easy, telling you that you should want a four-hour work week or you should want whatever, whatever. Ecology is – it, and and the reason that going back to like the importance of a retreat, that taking time to to go through a process – in isolation, really do the deep thinking on your own is so important, is like at least once a year, you should take time out to really look inside and know yourself and set objectives from a place of true authenticity, like true relationship with self, so that you don't start just getting distracted by mimetics, by like by imitative goals, by wanting what other people seem to want or seem to have.
2: And tell me a little bit more briefly about the actual implementation of doing some of this ecological work? What does that look like in terms of investigating your own biases, really looking at the, the roots of your goals, whether you want them or, or they're just imitative goals from other people? How do you concretely start to unpack some of those things?
3: I can't give you all the secret sauce at commit action we have like nested loops of series of questions that we have people take their big hairy audacious goal for the year and like filter it through all these different evaluative questions to to get at the root of what really matters but let me give you one example one of the things that we encourage people to focus on is what's called evidence procedure which is What is the way that you know that you have actually accomplished the thing? So many people set goals that are abstract, right? That are not clearly defined enough such that they're like, well, I want to I want to double my business. And that feels like a milestone. It feels like a kind of a thing that would be cool to have. But I think it's really like an Instagram dream. It's like it would feel cool to tell people that. And so what we actually focus them on is like really thinking through what is the moment in time that you will know when you have it, the goal? What will you see, hear, feel, touch smell and taste. Let's throw those ones in for the mix. And what that does is it orients people with a vision of the moment in time that this goal is accomplished. And it also has them start to visualize that, imagine that in a very real way where it becomes easier to access the other side effects and consequences so to go back to my this like quintessential example of i want to double my business if you're that service entrepreneur where you the more you sell the harder you work Um, because not everybody's business is in fact very few businesses can you just snap your fingers and 10x growth right like stuff has to happen so what we do is we say to them like what's the evidence procedure what will you actually see when you realize you've achieved that goal let's say let's say you achieve it on new year's eve 2021 where will you be? What will you see? And they're like, well, I guess I'd get a a and l like from my QuickBooks. Maybe my accountant would email it to me and I would see that number in our top line revenue. And we'll sort of ask them like, how does that make you feel? What else is going to happen when that happens? And there's that gulp moment where they're like, oh, like that means we would have had to sell this much and we'll be on the hook to deliver this. And suddenly... Like, I've had this conversation with people where just from specifying evidence procedure alone, they reel it in and they're like, actually, next year, if we could create like a 20% growth in profit margin, that would be more meaningful to me than doubling the top line of the business. And now we're getting to ecology. This is a very... I'm trying to use a very abstract example, like a very uh, general example here to to highlight an abstract principle. But that's one way that you can start to zero in on like, what is it that you're really aiming for?
2: Yeah, no, that's a great example. And I think it it really concretely implements that a lot of times the goals we set for ourselves aren't really the things we actually want. And if there's a misalignment there, if your ecology isn't right then your subconscious is going to start self-sabotaging. And in, in the example of of that service entrepreneur, they don't really want to work 80-hour, 100-hour weeks to try and get to that goal or maybe even more than that to, to double the amount of service that they're delivering. But maybe re-engineering the business, focusing on some different more profitable segments, etc., they can achieve that other goal. That's something that their subconscious can get on board with and they won't self-sabotage in the pursuit of
3: yeah, exactly. And there's nothing worse with than, than being in a position where you've arbitrarily like, decided to throw out a big, hairy, audacious goal to yourself. You've told your friends and family, this is what I'm aiming for. And then you find yourself in this rock versus hard place moment where you have to do things that you never wanted to do in order to accomplish the thing that you said you were going to. Like That's, that's exactly it. That's where self-sabotage kicks in. You'll find yourself hit, hitting snooze on the alarm button again and again and again that's a metaphor right but also literally what can happen and just failing to show up as the best version of yourself you know for th- an entire quarter because you're out of alignment with what you think your north star is
2: so we've talked about a couple different really really helpful methodologies to start to shape the annual planning and and goal setting process one of the biggest disconnects that that I see personally, and I know many, many people, pretty much everyone struggles with this piece, which is how do you actually, let's say you get the goals aligned, you have your ecology right, you've done your year in review, all this stuff. 90% of the time you put those goals in the drawer and then you forget about them and maybe do one or two of those things. But by February 15th, those goals are out the window and all the habits and the new me and all this stuff isn't actually happening. How do you close the gap between making those plans and actually executing on them?
3: Yeah, this is this is one of these things. This is deeply unsexy evidence based psychology stuff, because this is (laughs) like this is the stuff. The answer to this question is a lot of what we do at Commit Action. A lot of it has to do with specificity and with measurement. And we touched on this earlier. A lot of big hairy audacious goals that we'll throw out for an ant you know for 12 months from now or whatever we don't necessarily know what are the what are the measures that we're going to be focusing on in the short term to get there so there's this concept called proximal goal setting which is very validated let like scientifically kind of proven to make an enormous difference and you can combine it with one of your favorites that you mentioned i know you talk about all the time which is the implementation intentions proximal goals are basically having a thesis figuring out what do you aim for in the short term that rolls up to the big big long-term objective And that's the part that I think you've got to do at the start of the year and not kind of leave till later. Because what most people do when you say put their annual plan in the drawer and let it get dusty is they kind of say, this is where I want to be in 12 months. That's the goal. Feel great about it. Put it away, get to work. And then they have that moment of like sitting down at their desk on a Monday morning on what's it going to be next year, like January 4th, and just having no real sense of like even where to get started. And so... We can avoid that by really doing the work of thinking, okay, if this is the big long-term objective, what are the proxies for success that I'm going to focus on that can keep me motivated by allowing me to, to close that feedback loop throughout the year? I'll give an example here. We've we've had a lot of business ones and I'll step away from that for a second to something everyone can relate to. Health and fitness. We could all be in better shape. We could all, like we've all got the potential to improve our health and fitness. But the thing about let's say trying to lose 10 20 pounds so you have to you have to exercise and you have to eat healthy for three or four weeks before you're going to even notice a difference in your belt buckle on the scales, right There's a there's a delay. We call it the action result gap. You have to take action, but there's a gap between taking the action and getting the result. So you have to fill if you want to close that gap, well let me step back for a second. Most big annual goals that are worth running for, like building a business, launching a new product line, I don't know what some of yours are, big things, there's gonna be huge action result gaps. The health and fitness one is actually relatively small, three or four weeks, and then you start to feel like your clothes are a little looser, and you're like, people are gonna start to say, hey, like, you're looking well, so you're already getting feedback and being motivated. For your big annual goals, how do you keep yourself going when it's June, It's like May or whatever. And you're like, oh, like, I'm not even close to finishing this thing. So figuring out proximal goal setting is really about the gamification of your big long-term objectives. And this this is why with health and fitness, things like CrossFit are so freaking effective because they create all of these, frankly, arbitrary, meaningless proxies games for people to play that roll up to them getting a much stronger, and much fitter and having a much better BMI, right? So if you can become obsessed with chasing a number in the short term, it can be something so simple. It can literally be just like, I have the goal of every day I do a thing and I check it off on a list that I, on a piece of paper I stuck on the wall. You start to get that sense that you're building up a streak and it becomes like a game that you're playing that's how you close the gap. There's got to be a proxy that you're striving for so that you can give yourself the sense of accomplishment and those reward chemical kind of hits of enjoyment and satisfaction. Because big, hairy, audacious goals, if it takes a year or more to achieve, you're going to run out of steam if you're not feeling like you're having micro wins along the way. That was a big rant. How are you doing over there, Matt? Got some proxy goals figured out?
2: Yeah, no, it's funny. I mean, such a great concept and and i'm going to paraphrase you a little bit but essentially it's this idea that there's a bridge proximal goals are essentially the bridge between your longer term big audacious goals and your short-term activities that you're actually implementing in the day-to-day execution of your life
3: exactly and they can be they can and should be cutesy and like Sometimes like silly and you hear about this in the biographies of like ultra high performers, the like NBA stars who just decided when they were 13 years old that they were going to like sink 50 baskets before bedtime every single day and they just started doing that. And it became this, it's like totally arbitrary number, totally just like a, like, what's their goal? Their goal at 13 was to be like a, like just a rock star basketball player, right? Like they had some huge multi-year audacious goal, but they got obsessed with the proxy for success. I love the story of, and I think this might actually be like an urban legend. Like I I haven't been able to verify it, but I, I still tell it anyway, which is the story of Jerry Seinfeld, who, you know, had the one of the most long-term convoluted goals of all time, which is becoming a successful stand-up comedian. Talk about an action result gap, like how many people spend a decade doing shitty clubs, like open mic nights for tips or whatever, before they get like a break or their material gets good enough or whatever it is that creates success in that field. So allegedly, he became obsessed with the goal of writing a joke a day. And his material just developed at this pace because he had this proxy where he was like, every day I just write a new joke no matter what and started to feel good about himself for doing that for streaking on it and and whatever. So you see this a lot with with some of the some of the notorious high performers that we get to read their books and hear about what they do. There's nothing stopping you playing the same games with yourself, right? Gamification works because it it shortens that action result feedback loop and makes it enjoyable to do the thing that is actually, you're tricking your brain into doing the thing that's actually an exercise and incredible delayed gratification.
1: I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop down menu that follows.
2: Such an important insight and, and in many ways ties together a lot of what we've talked about today. You touched on specificity. You touched about measurement. One of the other elements that I know you're a huge proponent of and have really dug into the science on is the importance of accountability. How does that factor into this?
3: Yeah, I've been going out and like banging on about accountability and in, in, on podcasts and in public for like five or six years now. And it's funny now that 2020 happened and people have been more isolated than ever. The truth is that I believe that we are living in a, and this is prior to the pandemic, but certainly has been exacerbated. We are living in a pandemic of isolation. This is a, it's a social cultural thing. The causes of it are rooted in the the accelerated rate of technological development, which I'm and I'm not I'm not like some crazy conservative being like, we got to go back to the old ways, villages of 150 people and everyone has dysentery. Not that at all. It's just that the technology has been this incredible double edged sword. Like it's 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 revolutionized our lives. The microprocessor has changed everything. You can see all of these graphs about productivity, like all of the science on like gains in productivity and like all of these social changes to do with the way people live. And it all, everything changed in the 70s when that microprocessor revolution kicked off. And I think historians a hundred years from now will actually look back and see that was really the beginning of a new era. And what's, what's changed is that our work has shifted. Like if you're listening to this podcast you're probably a card carrying member, a participant in the knowledge economy, the technology economy. The work that you probably do is increasingly abstract. You're probably able to do it in your PJs on a laptop. Certainly the entrepreneurs that we work with at Commit Action, you know it's never been easier for them to start a business and all you need is a laptop in many cases. But the way that we're operating as human beings, the way that a lot of us are working now is completely alien in that it would be unrecognizable to our grandparents you know i say this a lot like entrepreneurship in like two or three generations has become unrecognizable because my grandfather if he wanted to be an entrepreneur he would have had to go get to know his bank manager with the firmness of his handshake and the winningness of his smile he would have had to find a business partner and open up an office and put a sign out on the street and convince people to come in and buy whatever widget he was selling it's a very social enterprise Now, all of the innovation and growth is happening digitally in cyberspace. And we are living and working in a more isolated environment than ever. So many people wonder why they're not as focused as they could be, why they're so easily distracted, why it's hard to keep track of the goals that they've set. And the truth is that they're in a vacuum of total isolation. They lack human accountability. And so the question I like to pose is like, Listening to this, how many how many people, if you're listening to this, how many people on earth know if you absolutely crushed it yesterday with whatever you were working on, whatever goal accomplishment you were engaged in personally, professionally, business, whatever, it doesn't matter. How many people know if you crushed it or if you just completely phoned it in, watched Netflix, wasted the day? For most of us, even those in like happy functioning marriages, the answer is often zero. And that's the problem. That's the major social pathology of our time. So what we do, you know, what we see is that when you take, now, ironically, I think the best annual planning is often done in isolation. But when you come out of planning mode and come up for oxygen and plug into a web of human accountability, when you get to connect and have other people know what the objectives are and hold you accountable and workshop those goals with you and figure that stuff out, that's when you get the 10X growth. And this is the thing that, this is the big kind of unfairness I think that I saw when I was doing my consulting work as the shrink for entrepreneurs and learning about annual planning rituals for the first time. I was seeing these founders of these fast growth startups with just hundreds of millions of dollars of market cap or more, and they would go away on a retreat to some amazing location, do their annual planning, read a bunch of books, like clear their head, and then come back and check in with their executive team and share the game plan. They would call their advisors and tell them, this is what I think I wanna do, this is the vision for the year. They would have a board meeting with their investors. They were at the center of this web of accountability that lifts them up and makes, them, makes it easy for them to wake up on a Monday morning and be the best version of themselves. And so, you know, what we've built at Commit Action is a way for people to have a dedicated lifeline of accountability with a really affordable accountability coach that they can kind of work one-on-one with on a weekly basis to check in and have that relationship, to be that lifeline of somebody else who says, what's the plan for the next seven days? When are you taking time? And we're trying in some ways to emulate the thing that I believe is the difference between the most elite successful entrepreneurs who just hit home run after home run and the gap between them and everybody else who just struggles with this stuff over and over forever because they're in that vacuum.
2: And one of the things I love about what you've done with Commit Action, it's, it's so evidence-based and it really takes the evidence, it takes the science, it makes it so applicable, practical, and, and, and it puts it into a framework where you can implement it into your life. Coming back to the concept of annual planning, and preparing for 2021 preparing for recapping 2020 tell me a little bit about what you've put together and what you've built for making that process even better
3: i think i mentioned i don't know if people picked up the hint a couple of times here i i have this deep belief that i don't believe in information i think that i i think that there's way too many kind of courses and workshops and weekend retreats and stuff out there. And I really, I'm on a mission to convince people and especially entrepreneurs that they actually know what they should be doing deep down inside in their bones. And what they really need to do is master the science of execution and learn from real world feedback that comes about from doing a bunch of stuff. And so Commit Action is a services business where we only sell accountability coaching We don't sell information. We don't teach people stuff for money because we just want to help them. We just want to help them with the execution piece. Now, that said, I realized a few years ago when I was learning about these annual planning rituals that I was kind of doing a disservice. I was studying all this stuff and developing my own ritual, like emulating my best clients. And I kind of realized I should probably share all of this with the commit action customers. And so we started this kind of crazy tradition. And the first year was just an experiment, but it turned out to be like just one of the best things ever that our that first of all, our, our customers back then said changed their life. And then our veteran customers who have been with us since then have anxiously awaited and then repeated every single year. And that is, we call it Head Start, and this one's gonna be Head Start 2021. It is a a complete guided annual planning ritual that we release is a video training. So it's a big information dump. It's a six part series where you get guided through the intelligent reflection, the artful implementation, you know the thoughtful questions to get at the heart of ecologically optimized, well-formed objectives, all of that, it's like an end-to-end process designed for somebody to kind of hit the play button, do the exercises and arrive at the end of a day of kind of annual planning retreat that you can have on your own with this, with a fully fleshed out plan, psychologically optimized plan for the year ahead. And we even actually this year, we built a we created a workbook that we printed and sent out to all of the commit action customers. We still have a huge stack of them for all the people who join in January to do this or, you know, new customers. And so it's like a just done for you. Open it on page one and follow along and go through this ritual that we've spent the last like six years dialing in and getting to be the best it can be. But we don't sell this. It's uh, it's absolutely free. We just give it away to all of our existing members at Commit Action, and so I wanted to you know I I wanted to come on your show and tell you guys a little bit, tell you and your listeners a little bit about the science of psych and the psychology of really effective annual planning, and invite them to to join us. We really believe that what makes the difference is the day after you finish your annual plan, that when you begin executing, particularly with accountability in, in place, with objective and professional accountability like what we provide at Commit Action that The planning itself won't change your life, but the patient execution day-to-day, week-to-week that rolls up in the service of those big annual goals will be a revelation. That's kind of what we're doing. And I I welcome any listener of the Science of Success to come join us. This is our busiest time of year, January. Like As I'm sure you can imagine, we're kind of like a gym business in some ways where we get a lot of the New Year, New Me crowd. I wanted to do something special for your listeners. If they do want to join, they should do that really quickly because we're a services company and we tend to sell out in January. I got a coupon for them, which is just Science New Year. I figured that would be all one word. That would be a good one. And we're giving them $100 off their first month of membership with us. So you can join Commit Action for $100 off. We really never offer discounts like this, but it's a big, big discount. And if you join us in January, you'll get complete access to the entire library of Head Start 2021 training videos. We'll send you out the workbook and you'll get a month of accountability coaching with us and the start of a commit action membership, which is, uh, that's what we do, accountability coaching each and every month that you can continue on with us if it's something that that resonates and makes sense and come along on this ride of evidence-based incremental growth that we create for all of our customers.
2: And for listeners who want to check that out, who want to find out more about Head Start 2021 and commit action, what is the best place for them to go to do that? good question. Just go to
3: commitaction.com. There's a little widget there because this is a seasonal thing. So we release Head Start to our customers basically right before Christmas, right before the holidays. And it is a limited time thing. The workshop's only there from then till the end of January. And we tend to sell out somewhere around in the middle of January in terms of availability. So go to commitaction.com. You'll see a little widget there floating on the website that's got, you can click it and get information about Head Start. And the only way to access it is to just join Commit Action's accountability coaching service as a member. So if you're ready for that, and I would encourage you, you know, if you don't want accountability coaching, please don't sign up. Find your uh, annual planning ritual elsewhere. But if you're ready to add that level of effectiveness, if you want to work with a personal trainer for productivity and bring that into your 2021 plan, let's do it. Go to CommitAction.com check it out. There's all the information there. There's a bunch of testimonials from the entrepreneurs who are our customers. You can take a look. And when you get to the checkout, there's an option to enter a promo code or a coupon and put in Science New Year. You'll get $100 off your first month of membership. And we'd be stoked to have you. We love Science of Success. My marketing manager, actually, he's a new hire and he just discovered you guys and has binge listened to like 20 episodes in the last week, I think.
2: That's amazing.
3: Yeah. And uh, we thought it'd be cool to, to, to share this with you guys and have you join us. We can make 2021 your best year yet and we've got the science to do it. So let's make it happen.
2: Well, Peter, thank you so much for coming back on the show once again, for putting together such a generous offer for all the Science of Success listeners you know, I've been, I, I've worked with Peter. I've been a fan of Peter. I've been a fan of commit action for a long, long time. So I would highly recommend checking it out. It's phenomenal stuff. As we've talked about at length in this conversation, it's very evidence-based it's rooted in psychology and it really works.
3: Thanks so much, Matt. It means the world to me to have you say that. And thanks for having
2: me on the show. Well, thanks for coming back on. And hopefully it's not the last time for sure. Let's do it again sometime. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created this show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email.